This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast. My guests this week are Kevin Robinson, James Bird, and we've got Palace fan Jim Daly from the five-year plan fanzine as well. So we'll get cracking straight away talking about Saturday's game, another nil-nil draw for Birmingham, that's two in a row, two clean sheets, but... Perhaps two points dropped rather than one point gained as a result of Scott Arfield having that late penalty saved by Julian Speroni. Um Jim, we'll start with you then. What's your assessment of the game? Well, we were kind of surprised because before Saturday we hadn't kept a clean sheet and we'd scored quite a few goals. So everyone was kind of expecting another goal fest and, and last time Burnley came down to Selhurst it was 4-3. So everyone was kind of thinking, "Oh, here we go again. This might be this might be quite fun." Uh, as it turned out, it was probably one of the worst games I've ever had to sit through as a Palace fan, uh, and there were obviously no goals. Just point out, Jim, on the the article that you sent us to put on the site, we put the headline: "There will be goals." <laughs> yeah, we're blaming you. I apologise for that. You've you've learnt the you've learnt the hard way that I know literally nothing about football. <laughs> <laughs> we should have probably realised that before asking you on the podcast. <laughs> Do you think nil nil was was fair overall? And neither side really did enough to to win the game, did they? I think it probably was a fair result. Yeah, I think we started quite quite brightly in the first fifteen twenty minutes, but when we didn't score a goal, the pressure started to, to tell, and 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 Burnley suddenly looked very confident and. And I thought played a very smart game plan of a containing Palace, and, and I thought Burnley looked very, very sharp on the break. Uh, and to be honest, the longer the game wore on, I was kind of convinced that Burnley were going to nick it. And, and when that penalty was awarded, I've never been so convinced in my life that someone was going to score. Yet again, showing that I know nothing about football. Um, but I, Speroni doesn't save many penalties, and, and I thought you were going to nick it. So had you done so. Uh, I I wouldn't have been complaining that much to be honest, but um, I think nil nil over the balance of of the ninety minutes was was probably just about fair. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. Uh, Speroni, I think, has has thwarted us a few times, so 
Yeah, it's no massive surprise to us maybe that he saved that penalty. Uh, James, what did you make of the game? Nil nil, I suppose it's not great overall, but a point on the road you always take that, don't you? Um, yeah, I think you you take a point at a place like Palace. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously better than a defeat, and Palace are the sort of uh, side that we need to at least pick up draws against um, away from home. Um, and obviously we managed to do that. I thought we were probably unlucky not to, to get a little bit more from the game. Um, you know, we had a couple of chances. I think Scott Arfield in particular had maybe two or three chances, including the penalty that, you know, on another day he probably puts away. Um, you know, two were decent saves from Spironi, the one from distance. Um, Foster, you know, a reasonable save. And obviously the penalty, while it was at a very savable height, um, still, you know, 90% of the time that's not going to go in. So... Uh, you've got to credit Spironi for another good save there. Uh, I, I thought on the whole we probably were the bright side. Um, when Palace broke on the wings, you were a bit afraid of sort of the pace they had out there. But then, as the winger got to the edge of the box, you actually realised there was no one in the box offering a you know an outlet for him. So um, I think we defended well and you know handled the pacey threats, despite you know maybe our centre backs not being quite as quick as what was on offer at the front of the Palace. And, uh, you know, on another day, we'd probably get three points there. I think maybe it was a case of, as you probably expect from a game that ended 0-0, it was a, a, a lack of really clear-cut chances for either side, I think. Obviously, we had the penalty at the end, but I don't think there, were, there was really anything from Palace's perspective where there was a really clear opening. They hit the side netting a couple of times. James MacArthur had a couple that were just off target, but Speroni was probably just about the busier of the two goalkeepers. Um Kevin, on the penalty then, James says it's a, a good save rather than a, a poor penalty. Where do you stand on that? Um, I think it's a bit of both, really. It was a, it was a decent penalty. Um, certainly wasn't a bad penalty, but it wasn't a great penalty either. I think it was the perfect height for the keeper, really. Uh, so as long as, he, as long as the keeper guessed the right way and had a decent bit of pace to his dive, he was always going to save it. Um, but Likewise, I don't think it's a big concern that he didn't score it because, it, again, it's, it's not the worst penalty in the world and nine times out of ten, like James said, that will go in. Um, it just happened that it didn't on this occasion. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, haven't you? It was the, the right sort of height for Spironi to get there. I mean, he was stretching a little bit, but I suppose it's, it's one of those that if the keeper guesses the right way, he's got a fair chance of keeping it out. Yeah, um, I think you need you need you need to go to the top or the bottom, really, don't you? In the middle, yeah, it's just it's, it's it's yeah, it's just it just gives that keep that, that extra five percent chance of getting it. I think. Yeah, there was a, a few people asking why it was Arfield who took the penalty. I think he did take penalties at Falkirk and scored quite a few, but it's maybe been a while. He scored since scored eight more competitively. Yeah, scored eight for Falkirk. Yeah, so. Maybe though, is is there an argument to be said that you you want your strikers stepping up for the penalty? I know there's some strikers don't like taking them. Adi Akinbayi famously didn't like taking penalties. I think there's been a few other uh, big name examples as well. But Scott Arfield, I saw he grabbed the ball straight away. There was no doubt it was going to be anyone apart from Arfield with things off the pitch as well. But you may be a little bit surprised that you normally think set piece takers, don't you, for penalties? So. Maybe someone like Dave Jones or even George Boyd or even Kieran Trippy. Would they have been better options or do you think Arfield was fine? Um, 
Actually, personally, I, I would have I would have liked uh, to see the Duke step up. I don't know if he's actually any good at them. Um, so maybe the reason he didn't step up is he's not very good at them. But I, like, I, I think when when I think when we need our strikers to start scoring, essentially, I think once they get that goal, it's going to hopefully make a bigger difference. It would have been I think it would have been really good for Duke to get that goal, get a first Premier League goal for himself, and 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 start that ball rolling. Um, but yeah, I think. Well, other than that, Dave Jones would have been a good chance, a uh, good choice. I think, like several set piece set piece takers, their their specialism almost is is hitting the ball when it's still. Whereas the, the likes of the strikers are more used to capitalising on the ball when it's when it's coming in and it's moving or it's at the feet. Whereas David Jones um, does a lot of practice with the ball still. So that's, I think that's usually why the set pieces take take it. But um, but like, like I say, Arfield's was a, a decent enough penalty. It wasn't the worst penalty in the world, so I, I don't think I'd have huge qualms about him stepping up again. It will be interesting to see if he takes the next one, especially as it looks like Ings will probably be out for at least a couple of weeks. We are still waiting on news about Danny Ings' hamstring, um, but hopefully it won't be too serious. Um, Jim, to come back to you then, I assume you've got no arguments about the penalty that was given to us. Uh, Palace fans felt there was probably one for a Jason Shackle handball. Did you get a good look at that one? To be uh, no, I was going to actually ask you guys about that because I didn't, I didn't see it at all, and I didn't remember it. And after the game, everyone was talking about it, and I genuinely didn't know what the hell they were talking about because I, I, I remember that the, completely. I remember it was down our end in front of the away fans. It was in the first half, I think it must have been. And I remember the Palace fans shouting. And at the time, I thought it was ludicrous. I was sure it had hit his chest, but I don't remember seeing it in any of the highlight packages. So although there was a lot of talk about it on Twitter after the game. I, doesn't seem to have been picked up that much. No, I, I missed match the day on purpose because I didn't want to watch <laughs> that game again. Uh, but as for the penalty that was given, it was a, it was a clear penalty. Uh, Jednak definitely hauled the man down, and, and to be honest, that capped up or capped off one of the worst displays he's ever had for Palace. I mean, he's he's a fantastic player, and and last season he topped the charts for tackles and blocks and. And, and, and understandably because he was superb for us and he's a real captain and a real leader and he, he galvanised the troops. He's already played under four Palace managers, I think. So he's been there and done it and, and he's very good at leading the guys. But he was terrible on Saturday. His passing isn't his strongest point and, and I'm sure you guys would have noticed that it was it was very wayward. I think he set up Danny Ings for a one-on-one at one point. It, it was that poor. So he had a bad game and unfortunately when he has a bad game, so the Palace, and one of my mates in the pub afterwards said, well, yeah, he always, he's always a bit tired when he comes back from international duty for Australia, which is a fair point, but uh, last week Australia played at Craven Cottage. So I, I, I don't... I mean, I, I know the district line can be a bit uh, difficult sometimes, but that is taking the piss. Probably not going to get jet lag from it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But he was poor, and, and when he's poor, sometimes Palace are as well, and we just we lacked a bit of... I don't know, a bit of confidence almost, you know. I think maybe the pressure got to them. You know, it, it was Zaha's first game back at Selhurst. It was Warnock's first game back as manager at Selhurst. I think the the occasion maybe got to Palace a little bit because certainly as the game wore on, they looked less and less confident, which, you know, last season was, was our forte at home. We had a strong crowd who, again, I thought were a bit quiet on Saturday. But last season, we made it a fortress. And, and, and on Saturday, it was, well, whatever the opposite of a fortress is. I'm glad you mentioned the crowd, actually. I was going to raise that a little bit later. We hear a lot about the, the Palace atmosphere, and I've, I've been down before and been quite impressed, but I did think it was quite quiet. When when Palace were on top, 
the ground got light. But apart from that, there's just the, the group of the Holmesdale Ultras, as they call themselves down yeah. in the corner, clapping along to the drum. I didn't really think that was really that up to much. Uh, in terms of the, the yeah, pressure, yeah. I thought we weathered the storm, didn't we? I mean, Palace came out of the blocks quite rapidly and hit the bar with the, the Scott Dan header and there was a Zaha chance as well. But I think after that, we really came into it and there was only going to be one winner, I felt, at the end. It's just we got our big chance and we didn't really take advantage of it. I think uh, Palace are poss- possibly going to struggle this season at home because I think the way we set up is actually... Uh, primed for away games because we like to kind of hit on the counter attack as well and contain possession. So, so when we come up against a team that that, that tries a similar sort of way against us at Selhurst, we, I think we're actually going to struggle because we we sort of lack a bit of imagination when it comes to breaking teams down. Whereas when you're away from home, that that pressure's off a little bit and you can play like that and you can sort of look for the uh, the the opportunities on the break. So that was kind of disappointing for us because really, and and, and no disrespect to Burnley, but w- when you're playing teams like Burnley at home, you've You've got to be looking for three points because there aren't many points on offer in the Premier League. And I'm sure you guys are probably thinking the same thing and are looking for a point, if not more, against Palace because they don't come from, from many places. And, and suddenly you've got the big four, the big six coming to, to visit you or going away. So it was disappointing for us, I think, not to pick up uh, three points. But on the balance of play and given what could have happened at the end, I think we're all a, a little bit relieved, actually, that, that it was one point and not zero. Palace fans may be even happier than Burnley fans to come out with it with the draw. Though I suspect we would have taken nil nil before the game. It's just when you don't take advantage of a penalty at the end, it does sort of stick in the craw maybe a little bit. Uh, just one point to to raise about Danny Ings as well. Um, obviously, we've mentioned the injury. He was booked for for simulation in the first five minutes of the game. Um, none of the TV replays I've seen since have offered a really conclusive view of it, but. I I think Ings maybe initiated the contact if there was anything there at all. Kevin, what was your view on the, the Ings diving incident? Uh, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a foul. It definitely wasn't a foul from from my perspective. So the thing is that Ings lost balance. The question is whether he lost balance on purpose or by accident. Um. And again, like I said, I've I've seen the, the the replays on TV, and and none of them are really conclusive either way. He does look kind of sheepish when he's on the floor. He doesn't really appeal to the ref too much. He just glances up, and then once he's get booked, once he's booked, he just he just walks away and has a very very small shake of the head. I don't know if that means he's guilty or if it just means he's he's getting on with it. Um, one thing I would say is it's quite an odd time to dive. I think. Uh, in the first it wasn't five even in the bench, was it? It was out. It was outside the box as well. I mean, I was yeah. at the other end of the field, but I'd assumed it was in the box when he went down, and then saw the replays later, and it was outside the box. It was a strange one. I mean, I mean, if it's if it's I think if it's Ashley Young, it's probably a dive all day long. Um, but again, you're not really sure. Like I said, but it is an odd. I think it is an odd time in the first five minutes. If it was the if it was the 95th minute, you might sort of 85th minute, you might say you know we're getting a little bit desperate and. Using that desperation to maybe, maybe cheat this out of desperation, but in five minutes in, surely I, I, I don't know. I don't know what goes through someone's mind when they decide to cheat. Um, but I'm assuming it's out of that desperation, which I'm not sure you'd have in the first five minutes. Um, but that's a, that's a long way of saying um, I don't know. <laughs> it is tricky, isn't it? I mean, we all want to believe that he didn't dive, but I think maybe on the balance of the evidence that we've got, maybe he was looking for a little bit, and that's. 
maybe a way to put it euphemistically. Um, Jim, did you get a good look at that incident? It was down in front of the the main palace down, wasn't it? You're going to be unsurprised to hear that, no, I didn't see that. <laughs> I didn't see I feel, it. I, I feel see like it. Arsene it's Arsene Wenger. Wenger. Arsene Wenger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the Wenger of this podcast. Um, no, I didn't. But it's an interesting point. Like Sometimes you know, we all look at our own clubs with a kind of romantic way, don't we? And, and believe that none of them do anything anything badly. But sometimes you have to take it at face value and understand that a lot of some footballers dive, you know, some of them make bad, bad tackles, some of them are, aren't the nicest people. I'm not saying Danny Ings isn't, but it's funny that since Palace been in the Premier League in the last year, I've just, I've almost kind of find, found myself detached a little bit more from the club. Like last season was an amazing roller coaster in it, and it was great to be a part of, but I know the more the clubs in the Premier League and the more you see them on match of the day and the more they are seen by other people as being an established team and part of the Premier League not that we are but you know you get more TV cameras coming down each week and you're on match of the day more and stuff like I don't know it's funny I, I feel a little bit more sort of detached from it it's, it's not quite you know our club it just becomes a Premier League club does, does that make sense it becomes sort of a bit, a bit more faceless than than it used to be back in the day when we were terrible yeah I think I think some Burnley fans feel the same already partly just because the, the cost of falling the club goes up so much when you're in the, the Premier League and it does become a bit more difficult to feel involved but uh, just on Ings it, it's it's one of those things isn't it all like you say all fans are like oh our team doesn't do that but genuinely I, I don't think Burnley players normally do that the, the number of divers that we've had in the last 20 years I could probably name on one hand and certainly didn't have Danny Ings down as someone who could do that so hopefully if if Dash thinks that he he did go down a bit easily maybe he'll have a word with him and tell him not to do that because I think even if it came down to like the last day of the season this is the situation you always put in your head isn't it it's the last day of the season and you need a goal so either stay up or go up or whatever you're chasing you need a goal your player goes into the box the defender's legs out do you want him to go over to try and get a penalty to get the goal that you need? Would you rather have the goal and stay up or go up or whatever you are, but know that you sort of did it by dodgy means, or would you rather not get it and then have to suffer the consequences? It's difficult, and I suspect if you put a lot of people on the spot, they'd be quite happy with their team cheating, but I wouldn't be completely um, happy with it, I don't think. Um, just finally then, Jim, we'll let you go in a little bit, but... Where do you see Palace finishing this season? Obviously, you did very well last season under Tony Pulis, but with all the upheaval and then Neil Warnock coming back, you did quite well on deadline day, didn't you? James McArthur was a player we were after, but it's going to be a struggle, I suppose, isn't it? You're going to be one of the teams down there at the end of the season. Yeah, I think certainly Saturday made made me realise it, it is going to be difficult. There's been a lot of changes at Palace in the last couple of weeks, and it, it's understandable that that might have affected the players might be one of the reasons they looked a little bit uh, lacking in confidence. But it is a long season. You know, and Pulis proved that last year. He only came in, in in November and managed to turn the team around. And that team had won one game in 10 and were rock bottom. So, you know, uh, Palace actually moved out of the bottom three on Saturday, despite everything. We actually are now fourth from bottom. And, and if we end up fourth from bottom, even if it's by goal difference come, come May, then everyone will be happy because that'll be two seasons in the Premier League. And, you know, what comes with that, the extra money, the extra whatever, you can start to build on it. So, you know, now in the summer, I sort of let myself believe that this might be the year that Palace kick on and stop being a yo-yo club and, and really establish themselves in the top flight. And and that was literally 48 hours before Pulis left. So I learned 
well, I should have known anyway from supporting Palace for so long, but uh, you know, never take things for granted. Never let yourself believe it might be good. But it's a long season. Uh, there are points to be won and, and, and things aren't that bad. You know, I'm, I'm sure you'll have seen that there are positives to take from, from Palace on, on Saturday. There are some good players, especially going forward. You know, Zaha could be a good player. Jason Punchin still has a lot of quality about him. And bear in mind, we were missing a couple of players. There was no Marouane Shamak, who everyone outside of uh, SE25 thinks is terrible. But actually, he was very good for us last season. And he's got a bit of quality about him. And, and we missed that sort of quality linking up the midfield and the attack. We, you know, he's out for three or four weeks. But when he comes back, and Joe Ledley was missing in the middle as well, I think... He could add a bit more steel in there, certainly with Jednut not playing very well. It's not a bad team, and uh, there are positives. And if, if Warnock can work out what he's doing, because I thought we didn't really look like know what we were doing, then there's points to be won. And like I said, I'll take 17th on goal difference on the last day of the season with an own goal. I don't care, as long as we stay up. I think there's probably about 10 teams in the league that say that at the moment. Um, <laughs> just finally then, Jim, before we let you go, tell us a little bit about your website, the five-year plan. Uh, yeah, well, it's called Five Year Plan Fanzine. It's a Palace. Uh, well, it started out as a fanzine you know, back in the day, or well, ten years ago. Uh, fanzines are kind of still going, but everyone's sort of moving to blog format these days. So we still do the print fanzine, which was available on Saturday. And in fact, actually, we sold to quite a few Burnley fans, which is very nice. We don't do that normally, so Burnley fans sort of seem more accepting to a uh, away fan fanzine. So those that did buy it, I hope, hope you enjoyed it. Um, but we do have a blog, which is Five Year Plan uk, and we also do a podcast as well. Uh, like yourselves, uh, all the kind of mod cons that the, the bloggers are doing these days. Um, yeah, and that's about it. We do all sorts of stuff. And we're always looking for people to write for us. I know you guys have written a couple of uh, away fan pieces for us, which we really appreciate. We're always looking for uh, opposition fans. So if there are any Burnley fans that want to talk about Palace, feel free to get in contact. We're at, at FYP Fanzine on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. Thanks, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed the chat. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Jim. Good luck for the rest of the season, but um, not too much luck, obviously. If it, comes <laughs> down to, if it comes down towards all you at the end of the season, hopefully it'll be you. <laughs> Cheers, guys. See you later. Moving on then to our question of the week this week. We'd normally get Adam to do this, but he's got some student-related mishap going on. Apparently his house is flooded or some crazy shenanigans. Um, so I'll be doing it this week. Question of the week was, if Danny Ings is injured for the Sunderland game, which we assume he will be because... A hamstring strain is normally two or three weeks at the very least. Um, who comes into the side and why? So are we looking at a formation change or like for like? Obviously Marvin Sordell came on. We haven't really talked about Sordell, but we can do that as part of this. Sordell came on and probably did okay, um, but maybe didn't do enough to hold on to his place. We had a few replies to this one. Um, David Whitney, NNN contributor, said, Kyle or Taylor to come in and play Boyd behind Duke. We haven't mentioned Boyd either, really. Boyd's debut, of course. We'll need to do that as well. Um, Steve Kelly said, it's an easy one. It has to be Sordell. It was lively as the game progressed on Saturday. It avoids changing the system and it gives us pace. That's a good point. I do think we lack a bit of speed. Um, James also agrees that Sordell is the one. He says, one up top would be too defensive and Sordell proved to be adequate against Palace and he grew into the game. Alex agrees with David Whitney and says Boyd behind Duke and wants Kitely to come in. Um, Beaumont James says Barnes in up top next to Duke and Jason Gilchrist on the bench so he was obviously not too impressed with Marvin Sordell. Uh, Claret Clint said Sordell played really well on Saturday better than I expected. I will go with the same again and see if they can notch a few and finally Darren said Sordell presumably he was brought in as the cover that cover is now needed and he did okay against Palace. Um, so 
a lot of different things to go over there first then but James initially your answer to the the question of the week what would you be looking to do for the Sunderland game assuming Ings is missing I don't know it's a really tricky one um, I think Marvin Soda will do okay on on Saturday but I'm just not really sure he particularly looked like scoring you know, he, he did bits and pieces but I don't know we just didn't seem to be penetrating the box at all and uh, you know having seen the way George Boy played on Saturday you do wonder whether maybe there's the the scope there to drop him in behind uh, Duke and, and bring one of the other wide players in, you know, maybe Wallace, maybe Kitely. Um, because I think that is, well, I think we've got a play to, to Duke's strength, which is that basically if you give him the ball, we'll hold people off all day um, until someone's in a position to support him. Um, and I think maybe putting someone off the back of him Maybe that's the way to do it. You know, you you get it into his feet. He holds it up. He, he lays it off, and you you know you got an opportunity to shoot. And I think um, obviously that would fit well for Josh Boyd or maybe even Michael Cartley. I'd imagine it's interchangeable between those two. We were told when when Cartley initially came on loan, it was mentioned, wasn't it, that he played um, off the strike. So that's certainly an option. So would you be thinking the same sort of formation then and trying to go like for like with an ing sort? innings type player off Jukovic yeah yeah because I think you know Sodell tries to do you know maybe 50-50 sort of Duke Ings he's like he's trying to hold it up a bit but he's trying to run and and create chances I just don't think we we really got that penetration into the box and I thought on Saturday what we really would have benefited from is maybe just shooting a little bit earlier and there's a couple of chances where you you know, you were sort of willing guys to shoot. Uh, I think particularly the David Jones one where, you know, there was a really good last gas tackle from uh, the Palace defender. You were just sort of like, you know, let let rip, have a shot. Um, and it just didn't come. So I'd really like us to try and try and shoot a little bit more from around the D and, uh, you know, point someone off Duke's probably the way to achieve that. I think that was a good point. I think... Um... The players we've seen so far, there's only really Arfield that's grasped that, and there? there was the the shot that Speroni did well to turn off, but Arfield seems to sense when he needs to shoot, and everyone else is maybe a little bit hesitant. Um, I, I thought Sordell did okay, but I, I thought it was partly a little bit of confusion over what sort of job he was being asked to do. It seemed like he was being asked to do the same role as Danny Ings, and he's not that sort of player. If you're going to play Sordell, you need to use his pace, you need to get him chasing down defenders and running balls down the channel and going round the back and stretching teams like Martin Patterson used to. There's no point playing him if you're going to ask him to try and link the play because that's not his game. Um, Kevin, to come to you then on question of the week, what would you be doing if Ings is missing? Um, I think I'd perhaps be tempted to... Uh, I don't know how... I don't know how Daesh feels about, about this so far because wants, wants to kind of ease new players in. Um... Maybe if if Chalibur played at a weekend and come off the bench, uh, I might have put put him in at the start. Uh, I don't know if Dice will be that interested in putting Chalibur straight in uh, for a start straight away. I think he was forced to with Boyd with, with Taylor being injured. I think ideally he'd like to ease people in. But I think I probably would put, if it was me, I'd probably put um, Chalibur in, um, put him in midfield and play Arfield and Boyd a little bit more forward than they have been doing usually. Um, just to to back to support the Duke a little bit more. It's quite interesting actually because we were talking a few uh, on the uh, podcast either last week or the week before 
about um, saying it'd be really interesting to try a four-five-one formation, but can you really justify dropping Ings? Well, actually, now we've got we're going to have to drop Ings. So why don't we try it? Because Jack has said that he wants to maybe experiment with his formation a few times this season. Um, so I think I, he was he was meaning away from home ideally, but why don't, why don't we just try it? We've got this opportunity now where we're forced to drop ins. Um, so st- stick it in, see what we, how we how we do fare with with Duke up front by himself. Um, I think on on Sordell, you've got a question: what how, why he was brought in? Was he brought in for cover? In which case, he has to start. And you, you think he's the closest player to wings? Or was he brought in just to offer something different off the bench in the last 25 minutes? Was he brought in, not really with the intention of starting games, but if with this, this half an hour left, 25 minutes left, and we want to inject that bit of pace up top, is it was he brought in purely for that option off the bench? Uh, I think it, it really depends on, on, on why Dyche wanted to bring to the club, I think. But if he it, if it, if it brought him in his cover, then surely he, he has to start. Yeah, that would be an interesting one. I mean... I think the thing about Shellbar for me, I was a bit surprised that he wasn't even on the bench, although I understood Dash's reasoning that um, him and Keane had been away with the England under-21s and they'd not had much time to work with the squad. and I totally understood all that, but even after he signed, after he and Keane arrived, there was only going to be 12 league games before their loan spell expired, I think. So we can't really take it too slowly introducing these players into the side, otherwise we're not going to get to keep them. Essentially, we're going to have to play them. I agree with you. I think I'd prefer to to change the formation a little bit, put Shalbar in the ho- in the holding role, although um, he, he can get forward as well, and I think that frees up Arfield and Boyd to push up a little bit further. I think that that plays into our strength at the moment, which is Scott Arfield. We need to get him around the box because he, he is the main goal threat now, and we have to put faith in him to get those goals. Um, coming back to, to George Boyd then, James, I, I thought he was very good in the first half in particular. It was certainly a promising debut, wasn't it? I thought he was good, yeah. The, the only thing really that concerns me about George Boyd is seeing that hair really on the pitch. <laughs> brings back brings back those memories of Chris Eagles and his uh, one-on, three-off. Uh, one it's very easy to compare them, isn't it? Because they are basically wearing the same haircut. Um. But you know, if he can play like that every game, which I think was was Chris Eagle's downfall, that you know you get one one performance out of him where you think, oh, this is the best player in the championship, and then the next game you'd be like, is Chris Eagle's even playing? Yeah, I think I think Boyd's a class above Eagles to start with, but it's, it's certainly consistency that's going to be key. What really impressed me about Boyd was the way he tracked back. Obviously, that's key to the way we play, but. I didn't really expect him because he's got an Alice band and, and long hair I didn't expect that to be a really big part of his game but he tracked back extremely well and I think he probably won more tackles than any other Burnley player Yeah, I think even in the, the second half when I think his, his game went a little bit quieter um, you know, we'd, I think we'd definitely seen more of him in the first half there was one instance where he tracked back into the centre circle really well and uh, I can't remember, it might have been uh, James McArthur but he picked his pocket and and turned straight away, and he was going back the other way. And you know that's the kind of thing I think you want to see from, uh, you know, from a winger. Someone who's going to get back, he's going to nick the ball back, and he's going to instantly turn and be looking to to go back the other way. I think one thing that has been pointed out was that we we still struggle to get in behind a little bit. Um, even when Boyd was was getting close to the box, he wasn't really going outside the fullback. He wasn't even beating him to come inside it. 
a lot of our play is still in front of the opposition defence. Um, and I suppose that's that's an indication of the lack of pace within the team. And it all ties into this the big question of where the goal's going to come from, which I suppose is particularly um, an obvious question to ask when Danny Ings is going to be injured, probably for at least a little while. Um, it's got to be a concern, hasn't it, Kevin, that it's, it's been such a while now since we did score and the first 15 minutes of the season that Arfield scored. And in truth, we haven't created a lot of really clay-cut chances in our game so far. That's actually exactly what I was about to say, Ben. Um, and I, I, I do think that if we do switch to a 4-5-1, it could give us the opportunity just to see if it is the shape that, it, that, it's, that it's been fitting. Because like you say, as much as we talk about wanting to give... Uh, wanting Ings and, and the Duke to get that goal, actually they've not had that much opportunity to to have those shots at goals, not those efforts on the ball. We're not getting the ball into the box that much. We're coming forward with it a few times, but like you say, much of our play is in front of the uh, in front of the defence. So maybe if we did put, have that uh, change our shape about a little bit, have five in the middle with the uh, kind of two two or three players in the midfield playing a bit more advanced. Maybe that might help us bring the ball up and actually get it into the box a little bit more, put a bit more effort on. If you've, if obviously you've got to say, if you've got five players trying to bring the built ball forward instead of four, will that make a difference? Um, I, I, I don't know, but you do, you do see a lot of Premier League teams playing with that similar formation now. Is actually the, the the two up top isn't unless you you know the likes of of Chelsea when you've got last season you had Stewage and uh, and Suarez. Unless you've got the two of those world class players actually. A lot of Premier League teams do seem to play that um, that five that one up top. So maybe it's something about playing that shape. If we can get that five midfield, maybe it might help. Um, I think neither of our strikers actually have scored quite regularly in a long time. Duke had that um, quite a decent spell at the end of the season with Bolton, but it's quite it's a very long time right now actually since Ings has scored uh, regularly at all. I think it was midway through the, the the second half of last season but he stopped scoring and he hasn't done that in a while so maybe it's confidence it's confidence thing as well um but yeah i, I think the main thing is that creating chances so i, I actually really do hope we do we go to five four five one just to see if if we can if we can if that change of shape helps us although another thing i'd just like to point out as well as always um i don't think if you look over the games we've had, we've had two away games which we've struggled to score in. Um, but the home, I think our home form is going to really be we we what throws us forward, and we've played Chelsea and United, so it will be really interesting to see how we do against uh, a, a lesser team next time out at Turf Moor. If we come out of that having not scored, I'll be a lot more concerned uh, than I am now. Yeah, I think that's the key, and it's going to be. Um, vital and I think Sunderland haven't kept a clean sheet in the league yet as well so um, that should be a really good opportunity um, on the on the five in midfield point obviously it, on the face of it it sounds a bit defensive doesn't it putting in um, a defensively minded player in, in Shalabar for Danny Inks but it doesn't have to be the case I mean it doesn't translate perfectly because they're obviously several classes above but if you look at Manchester City what they tended to do last season if it wasn't working they'd bring on um, a more defensive player in midfield and then move Yaya Torre up the pitch now obviously we don't have a player like Yaya Torre but the same sort of idea stands we can put a defensive minded player in and that gives 
players like Scott Arfield and George Boyd a chance to get further up the pitch. And maybe if you've got Shalabar in that holding role, maybe that means Marnie and Jones can set the platform a little bit further up the pitch as well. Maybe that means that when we do win the ball back, we're close to the opposition goal to start with. Um, a point on the, the Duke as well. I think he's done very well and I'm impressed with him so far and he holds the ball absolutely beautifully. But it's too far away from the opposition goal for me. When he's getting the ball, it's sort of 30 yards, 35 yards out. And by the time he's laid it off, we're still on the halfway line. And what we did really well last year was getting the ball into Sam Bokes really close to the penalty area so that as soon as he brought it down and laid it off, we were in an attacking position. And I think getting that platform a bit further up the pitch is going to be really important. Um, James, obviously this is a vast, wide-ranging question, but can you pin... Can you pinpoint why we are finding it hard to score goals? Ah, oh, that is a <laughs> very often question. Yeah, if it was easy, then then it would be an easy solution, wouldn't it? But it, it's obviously a range of factors. But is it is it a lack of pace? Is it just not creating the right chances? What what sort of factors do you think are at play? I think mean, it comes back to what I said a little bit about penetration. We just don't seem to really be getting those those chances in and around the box that. When you see it happening, you think we're going to score. Um, we just don't really seem to be to be getting those. And you know, sometimes I think you maybe just need to start trying a few things that you know we wouldn't try. You know, shooting from places you know we wouldn't shoot. And there's the confidence builds that you know so and so scored. They're going to feel more like they can get in positions to score again. People are going to be looking for them. And I think it's just you know a case of if we get one. We'll get two, we'll get three, um, and it is just really. I think you you watch it and you you don't see us really get into those positions that you know happened so many times last season with Danny Ings and Sam Vokes where you think there's no way they're not going to score now. Um, whereas all of our chances so far seem to have been with quite a few opposition defenders between you know our attacker and the net, and I think particularly we've seen a lot of shots blocked. Um, which you know comes down to not really getting those positions where you know you've got the defender out of your way and you you've really just got a chance you versus the keeper. Well, I thought what you were saying earlier about Arfield being the only one who's really willing to just just hit it um, is quite is quite telling as well. I think he I think if you it'd be interesting to see which players have, have had our shots because I think Arfield probably would be right up there. I think in the second half against Chelsea again he had one where it just came to it and he just hit it. Whereas I think um, in the Chelsea match, in the United match, and it also again against um, the Swansea, I've, I've not seen much of a Palace match, but against Swansea as well, I thought a lot of the time we were t- coming forward and too many of our players were willing just to just to bring it down and slow the ball down, take a few touches and then try to play it again. We're actually, it, you know, it, it might be worth just 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 hitting it like Harfield has. I think Harfield has probably three of our best chances so far, and we've all, every single one of those has been from just hitting it. Not taking my touch, not bringing it down, not trying to look for someone else, not trying to pl- pass it into the box, but just 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 whacking it, just giving it a bosh. <laughs> that's what we need to do. Bosh it in a little bit more. Yeah, I've mentioned it earlier. I think Arfield's just the one that's grasped that the chances don't come along very often, and you have to make things happen. But just on what we've been saying about chance creation, I think we need to point out as well. It sounds really stupid and obvious, but the teams are just much better. Like. In the championship, defenders would make pretty rudimentary errors quite often, and strikers of the quality of Danny Ings and Sam Volts would exploit that. But 
we're just not getting that anymore. Like defenders aren't giving us anything on the plate, and that's that's going to be one of the the problems, I suppose. I think um, another point to raise on that is especially noticeable on Saturday. Kieran Trippier getting forward. I think he's been absolutely fine defensively, and obviously everyone is going to set time to adapt to the Premier League. But getting forward, we've not seen as much from Trippier, and that's to be expected. And what Palace did on Saturday that really combated his threat was they left Zaha up, up the field and just said to him, when we don't have the ball, you just stay up. Because that means Trippier can't go past him because if we lose the ball, Zaha's got a clear on at goal. So I think teams will do that. But when we did see Trippier get in those positions as well, his crossing on Saturday in particular wasn't really good enough. And I think that's maybe indicative across the side that when we've got into the good positions the final ball hasn't quite been good enough so maybe that's something we can work on in the next week as well um, the weekend opponent is of course Sunderland and it's probably the most winnable match we've had so far Sunderland starts the season hasn't been great they've got three points from their four games just one more point than ours um, got quite lucky at the weekend as well they're playing Spurs at home and got a late equaliser from an own goal so they're not in the best of form either. Um, Sunderland will probably come with one up front as well. Stephen Fletcher, of course, we all know, but it's Connor Wickham who's the man that seems to be getting Gus Poyet's faith. Um, James, what what do you think we can expect from Sunderland at the weekend? They had a really strange last season. Had a really strange year last season, and that it was very rollercoaster. They started terribly, had the cup run to get to the the Capital One Cup final but then um, fell apart towards the end as well and then needed wins at the end to stay up it's difficult to know what to expect from them but they're probably going to be struggling again aren't they? You'd think so I think they look a you know, really poor side and I, I don't really know what it is about them but uh, you know you just you think it's they're on borrowed time really for staying in the Premier League and uh, you know I think it could even be a chance that we don't see Stephen Fletcher at all because I think he was left out of the side altogether uh, this weekend just gone and it just looks like he's currently not really fancied there despite being by far and away the most accomplished Premier League striker on offer I know for certain I would have definitely had him back um, at the turf but you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head when you say this looks like the you know the most winnable game we've had yet um, you've got to say teams like Sunderland at home you know probably Paris when we play them at home those are the games that really you're thinking, you know, these have got to be three points, um, you know, for us to stand a chance of staying up. Not just because, um, well, but mainly I think because of what was touched on earlier by Jim, where he said, you know, there's not a lot of points on offer in the Premier League, and really you've got to take them off the teams that you expect to be around yourselves at, at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, Sunderland are, are probably on that list, along with, you know, Newcastle, um, Palace. And uh, you know, if we don't beat Sunderland, you you just worry whether that's going to have a mental effect on the players as well. You know, particularly if we weren't to score again, um, sort of dragging out that that wait for the first three points. But I think everyone will go into it positive. You know, it's a very winnable game. It's back at home. Um, you know, after a, a good nil-nil draw against United last time out at home, um, you know, you'd be hoping that maybe we can keep a third clean sheet in a row and. You'll come away with something like a 1-0 turn or win. It is, it's a different challenge, isn't it? I mean, 
the Sunderland game will be the first one where we really have to go out there and make things happen and the onus is on us to go out there and win it. Um, Kevin, how do you think the team's going to adapt to that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think you, you, you definitely want us to uh, to win to win this match. Uh, certainly, if, if we don't win, we need to have a real, real, real go of it. Especially going forward, we need to be creating quite a lot of chances. I think just just to just show that we can we can do it. And we if think if, if we if we have a similar game where we're we're struggling to to create anything going forward, um, then it's going to be quite concerning. Um, Although I think I think other than twenty minutes against Chelsea, we've looked quite comfortable throughout the rest of the team in in all in all our matches. Um, I don't think we've been hugely challenged at the back um, at all, other than those twenty minutes against Chelsea when they were just phenomenal. So we've looked comfortable at the back. We've looked relatively comfortable in midfield most time. So this is the time now where we need to okay, we've ticked those two boxes. We really need to tick the, the going forward box now. We need to create lots of chances. Ideally, it'd be really good if we could score score a couple of goals. Um, and yeah, the win has got to be something we're, we're almost demanding here. But if we don't win, then we have to have a real, real go of it and at least score a couple of goals and create lots of chances. Absolutely. We were talking on the podcast last week, weren't we, about the, the sort of points totals that we will be looking for from September. And I think uh, me and Ian were saying uh, being unbeaten throughout the month would be great. Uh, but three points from the three games probably wouldn't be enough. So a point from Palace is a good start, but... This is the one that we probably really need to win. It's far too early to be talking about must-win games, but this is certainly one that we will be targeting. Um, Just looking at the Sunderland team, I think there's probably a lack of pace in their defence. Wes Brown and John O'Shea are the two centre-backs. So maybe there is a good case for playing Slaudale James in that we can stretch him and get get him behind those two old fellas at the back of the defence. What do you reckon? Um, yeah, potentially, yeah. Um, but sometimes I think you can get a little bit too hung up on setting your team up to to match what your position have got. And sometimes maybe it's better actually to think, well, what do we think? You know, we can play our strongest football with. Because if you if you play your best football, you're going to unlock defence at the end of the day. Um, whereas maybe you know you want to keep that you know pace strategy up your sleeve for. Later on in the game, you know, maybe the last 30 minutes, you're thinking the two guys at the back, they've not got much pace to start with. Now they're a little bit tired. What's going to happen if we throw some fresh legs up there and in amongst them and, uh, you know, and try and beat them that way? That's a good point, actually. And I suppose there's plenty of options in it. Probably just depend on, on how Dash feels about. Uh, the, the options he's got available. We mentioned um, possibly Kitely coming into the side. I think Kitely missed a lot of pre-season, didn't he? And that seems to have knocked his, his fitness levels back a little bit. So it might be a while until we see him. But Matt Taylor might be available. It could be a chance to bring Taylor in and maybe play Boyd off the front. There's certainly a lot of options, although we're certainly going to miss um, Danny Ings. Just the, the last thing I really wanted to talk about on today's podcast before we do let it go for the week is is Scott Arfield obviously um, didn't score the penalty at the end and he did look absolutely devastated at the end bless him um, weirdly I only realised this on the Sunday actually but it's it's it was a year to the weekend since we played Rovers at Turf Moor last year 
and it was Arfield's back pass that let them in for the equaliser. So I don't know what it is about this time of year, but it doesn't seem to go very well for him. Um, but what we've seen from Arfield so far, James, is that he's got an incredibly strong character. And after that mistake against Rovers, he bounced back incredibly well. And I think he went on a really good run of scoring after that. So <laughs> we don't have to worry too much about Bye. him going wrong, do we? Well... It's broken. Whoops. What happened? Right. Where where was I before? <laughs> hey, welcome back. It, it, it just said the call had failed and then it disappeared on me. What? Where was I up to? We were still here. Right, so I'll just do the Arfield bit again. Um, right, I just wanted to talk about Scott Arfield as well. Obviously, he didn't take full advantage of the penalty chance that came his way at the end, but um, he's got a very strong character, and I think he'll bounce back from that. Just one thing as well, it's actually a year to the weekend since his mistake in the Blackburn game last year with the back pass that let in um, Jordan Rhodes to get that jammy equaliser. So maybe there's something about this time of year that doesn't quite go right for him. Um, Jim, but we don't have to worry about Arfield at all, do we? He's got such a strong character, he's certainly going to bounce back. And after that mistake against Rovers, he went on a really good run of form, so hopefully he'll do that again. Although he's in extremely good form already. Yeah, I think he's he's someone who's um, you know clearly not afraid of taking his chances. He's, he's coming to the Premier League, and if you'd said to him 14 months ago, next, uh, next year you'll play in the Premier League, he probably would have... Um, Told you you were crazy, but you know he's he's got there and he's he was probably one of our most consistent players last season after the Blackburn game. Before that, you know he'd shown that he could work hard, but he hadn't really, you know, provided a lot. And then obviously he was to blame for the equaliser with a back pass that, you know, he probably when he watched it back himself was wondering what he was doing at the time. Um, but then he, he went on a great run. And he scored, you know, he scored a couple of goals in a in a short space of time. Um, and now obviously coming into this season there's probably people looking at Burnley's squad going you know are they really going to play that that Scott Arfield lad again he's you know he he was um, a free transfer last season he's done well from the championship could he really step up and obviously he proved pretty quickly against Chelsea that he could step up and I think he's brought a really fearless approach to the side you know you look here on Saturday and all the main chances were with Scott Arfield, and you know he's clearly not afraid to to have a shot, um, you know, from distance, and you know that kind of thing pays off because at, you know at the end of the day you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, and if you can keep taking, you know, those good shots from around the edge of the area, you know, not everyone's going to pull out saves like Julian Speroni did for that that first chance of his on Saturday, and you know if you keep knocking on the door. Um, Eventually, you know, you get what you're looking for. Well, so if you don't buy a ticket, you can't win a raffle, can you? And if you have a shot, anything can happen. So, certainly um, worth keeping an eye on Arfield, I think, because I, I think he'll respond really strongly to this this little setback. And I thought it was really key at the end and really, really quite classy from the Burnley fans that sell us to 
to give Scott Arfield a, a big cheer and a big chance and a big reception as he was leaving the pitch because he did look really upset. I'm sure that will have given him a little bit of a lift. Um, there was a really good interview with Arfield in, I think it was the record in Scotland over the weekend as well, and he was saying that although hard work has always been central to his game, he thinks that's the bare minimum, and you have to have the quality on the ball as well, and I think that was a, a very refreshing attitude for a footballer to take, because you get a lot of people who think, ah, if I'm good on the ball, I don't have to work very hard, or they'll go, I'm giving 100%, so it doesn't really matter that I'm not really good on the ball, but Arfield seems to get that you have to be everything, especially if you want to be a Premier League footballer, so I don't think we have to worry about him at all. Um, Kevin... Yeah, I read that Scarfield article as well, and I thought it was really refreshing to see someone say that, you know, 100% is what you should be bringing to the game every week, and it, you know, some days you're not going to have your best game, um, but as long as you're trying to have your best game, then you, you can't really ask for a lot more. And I think that's exactly what Scott Arfield's done every game he's been at Burnley. And just finally then, Kevin, before we do go for this week's podcast, give us a prediction for Sunderland at home at the weekend. It's got to be the first home, It's got to be the first win, hasn't it, surely? Yeah, it, uh, it has. Yeah, and it's going to be it's going to be one nil, and it's going to be the Duke. I'm really hoping for an early goal to to lessen maybe some of the pressure and some of the nerves. What are you thinking about the weekend's game, James? Um, I, I'm going to say 2-0. I think Scott Arfield will bounce back and he'll get himself another goal. And uh, I'll go with Kevin, say, say the Duke to get one as well and open his Premier League account. Fingers crossed for Duke to get a goal. I'm sure. I'm sure once he gets one, he'll really kick on. So that is about all we've got time for this week. Thanks to everyone who's listened, and also a thanks as ever to our sponsors at Neville G. We couldn't do the site or the podcast without them, so thanks a lot to them. Um, thanks to Jim as well from the Crystal Palace fanzine five-year plan. Very good site to read. One of the better opposition sites that we've dealt with. So thanks a lot for Jim's coming on, and thanks as well for Kevin and James for joining me on this week's show we'll be back next week and NNN Live will be back as well on Saturday for the Sunderland game if you can't make it to the surf thanks for listening goodbye away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.